Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. This is Paul Peluso, the editor of Officer Magazine, and I'm joined by Frank Varelli, the editorial director of Officer Media Group. How's it going, Frank? Morning, Paul. Doing well. As our boss would say, living the dream. Living the dream. So today we're going to talk about uh, duty cameras and video management as featured in the July issue of Officer Magazine. We had a couple different uh, stories dealing with different topics um, uh, surrounding duty cameras and video management, and Frank wrote a couple of those. Um, If you want to talk, Frank, about the couple of articles that you wrote, one was about the importance of video management, and the other one was um, about drones as video. So if you want to talk about the video management one first. That's cool. So yeah, that's, um, it was one of those things back when everybody started getting body cameras and it really, you you look back, it's almost uh, 15 years ago now where it became this huge, huge push. Um, A lot of the smaller agencies were completely unaware of the long-term cost. Uh, So storage became a big concern and something people had to worry about, but then a lot of people didn't understand um, the necessity of being able to track the chain of evidence. So video is evidence, right? And we have an evidence log. You you have a chain of evidence or a chain of custody that you have to track. Uh, People didn't understand how that would work. Um, You have freedom of information requests where people say, I need a copy of this video from this time to this time or this entire video. And uh, you can't just release a video that has everybody's face in it and any license plates shown and name tags and all kinds of other stuff. So you have to have redacting software um, or you have to do the redacting manually. And that's, that, that's very, very tedious and time consuming. So uh, in that article, Importance of Video Management, you know, we talked about this, the long-term storage because once you record it, how long do you keep it? And the answer is forever because you might have, and I've seen this happen, um, you might have an incident that occurs, it's a, a, a DWI arrest, and it comes up 12, 13, 14 years later in court, and then that video is needed. Um, so once you record video, it's evidence, it has to be controlled, it has to be secured, it has to be managed, you have to be able to redact as necessary, and you have to keep it forever. And there's a cost attached to that. It wasn't a big deal when video was, you know, whatever we'll say 640 dpi i don't know what the right number is for video everything's 1080p now but um and then you know the the image was only 480 by 320 or whatever and now the images are huge the resolution's great so instead of having a 10 minute uh 100 megabyte video now we have a 10 minute terabyte video and it's a terabyte because it's not just one body camera for that incident. It's every officer's body camera. It's any dash cams that are involved. It's any prisoner transport cameras that are involved. Um, you know, if, if you happen to have an aerial unit and they have down looking video, that's gotta be involved. The next thing we're gonna talk about is drones, but if you have drones up yeah. for civil disturbance or civil control, that video has to be involved. So all of a sudden we have this, uh, you know, geometrically increasing video amount that has to be stored and managed and tracked. And you, nobody thinks about that when they're a 12 man agency and they're buying 12 body cams because their city council said every officer has to have a body cam. 
They don't think about that. And it does become a huge challenge. Um, so let me move on from that to the drones, because in the second article yeah. I wrote about, I talked specifically about drones as cameras. And I mean, let's be honest, drones don't do you any good if they don't transmit back to you imagery. But they are fantastically mobile cameras that can absorb a lot of risk we don't want officers to take. And they can do it from vantage points that we can't reach. I mean, I can't be 400 feet in the air looking down on a crowd in a city. I can't be 400 feet in the air uh, at night looking down into a forested area trying to find a heat signature. Um, I can't go over a cliff and search down that 150-foot cliff face with a field of view that's 200 feet wide because I'm on a rappel rope is the only way I'm doing it. So drones with the cameras attached offer us phenomenal risk management and risk mitigation as well as a heightened ability to increase our visual data. And since you know, 80% of the data we use to make decisions comes to us visually, that, that's a, a big, big uh, advantage gained by using drones properly. Then there's the other side of it. You wanna search a cornfield and it's 100 acres and somewhere in the middle of it's five acres of marijuana grow, you, you need a warrant. So you can't use the drone and say, well, I never went on the property so I didn't have to have a warrant. That's not how that works. You're still going into somebody over, that airspace is owned by the property owner. You're going in it. You need to have the warrant, um, depending on how and where you're gonna fly and all the other considerations. You have to have a pilot's license for a drone. The FAA has regulations. Uh, you have to know about your operational, your altitude limitations near air bases or sensitive government areas. There's just so many concerns around the drones as well. So th those were the those were the two topics, the, the two articles that I wrote for July. I hope everybody gets finds them informative. That's great, Frank. Thanks. And yeah, I, I did a uh, Q and A um, with David O'Connor, the director of Public Safety Division at iPro Americas, and they they make a variety, uh, create a variety of products uh, that revolve uh, evolve around uh, video, including body cameras, in car video, uh, redaction systems, uh, software. And so David had a lot of good insight from an industry perspective of what, you know, officers want and what they need and a lot of the feedback that they've received. And basically, to sum it, he summed it up pretty well, saying that the consistent use of a video evidence system instills public confidence and trust that every incident involving law enforcement officers directly interacting with the public has complete transparency and also promotes both officer and public compliance as individuals are more likely to conform with public uh, with protocols and verbal orders from officers when they know they're being recorded. Um, so really, you know, everything that you would want from what you get from using video. And he also kind of went into a little bit, like you said, um, the use of video in court and how it's becoming a, a much bigger piece of the puzzle now um, and how some of these cameras are evolving um they just introduced a panoramic um a dash cam video camera that works with their system that catch you know captures a much larger um larger field view. larger field of, field of vision exactly um a, a better understanding of what's going on around the officer uh from the patrol car view and if you can talk frank about how do these advances i guess uh benefit officers 
Well, so I think it's really interesting, number one, that, um, again, going back about 15 years, there was this huge uh, push and, and public demand for every officer to have a body camera. And the, and the big worry was, could they turn it off selectively? Did they have to leave it on? And it was rather embarrassing for police officers to have body cameras on that they could never, ever turn off for a 12-hour shift because now you're recording what I do in the bathroom. Um, and then that gets to be a consideration and a worry and a concern, a privacy violation and all that. But it was interesting that at the beginning, everybody in the public screaming for every officer to have a body camera somehow felt these body cameras were going to prove officers were doing so much stuff wrong. And while it's true that police officers are not perfect and occasionally we make mistakes, the body camera does hold that up. We found on the law enforcement side that the body cameras were phenomenal at proving people were lying when they accused the police officer of a behavior that hadn't, that, and it wasn't accurate. They were lying. They were saying, yeah, the police officer punched me eight times in the face. And what the video cameras, wait, wait, let's go to video. And the video showed the police officer struggling to handcuff the guy, never hitting him at all, constantly saying, sir, please stop resisting. You're going to hurt yourself. Sir, please stop this. Sir, please, sir, please. Being amazingly professional and polite uh, while this guy hits his face on the B pillar of a cruiser and then claims the officer hit him in the face with a baton, you know, and, and then all of a sudden body cam video without permission to record a person is a violation of privacy. I think how the tables have turned is an amazing and wondrous thing. And to, to grab one more thing from the um, Q and a that, that I did Frank, um, just about how all these cameras kind of work together now that you have the in-car video that works with the body camera that works with, you know, the, the software that's picking all of this up. Um, it all works hand in hand and that, you know, that's different than it was, like you said, like 15 years ago, it all kind of worked independently. Um, how do you see that involved evolving? And, you know, is that you would think that this is a good thing for officers. Oh, I think it's fantastic because now picture this scenario. I've, I've had somebody on the hood of my car. I've searched them. I've handcuffed them or handcuffed them and searched them if they're being arrested for sure. Um, and then we get out of the dash cams field of view, which means all the way around the side of the car, almost to the driver's door, but you still have my body camera video. And then I open the back door, which I'm going to put them in the prisoner transport. And you have that camera that's on and activated. So you, now we have three different uh perceptual variations we have three different uh, points of view for how this suspect who becomes an arrestee goes from uh in handcuffs searched and into the prisoner compartment and in, in the the prisoner transport situation particularly i open the door opposite the camera and i put the prisoner in my body camera showing the prisoner's left side the or right side whichever side we're on the prisoner transport camera showing the other side of it so we're getting two opposing angles and now there are software suites that put those videos together and show you a holistic view so you can literally see every piece of it. And that really makes it hard for any false accusations to get made. It also makes it hard for any false defense to get made. I mean, if an officer makes a mistake, an officer makes a mistake. If he's unprofessional, he's unprofessional. Um, I'd be first person to say, we, we need to correct those behaviors we, we need to try to be as close to perfect as we can. We're humans. We're never going to get there. Um, but we get 
for every correct accusation of a police uh, unprofessional conduct or excessive force, you know, there's probably 100,000, 200,000 or a million false complaints about people saying police officers did something incorrectly. I saw a, a, a statistic just out of New York City that um, in any given year, there's like 350 million police contacts with the public, with, with a citizen. And out of that 350 million, there's like 10 times that police officers do something that's unprofessional, it's investigated and it's upheld. It's not a lie. And I mean, do the math. It's so statistically insignificant that most cops today absolutely love body cameras. Great. And Frank, just uh, kind of round this out um, in, in this, uh, this edition of the podcast, if you could talk about you know, personal experience with video uh, during your law enforcement career and um, but basically a, a story of that and, and to show us kind of how, uh, how it's evolved. So one of the best ones I've seen, and I, I was called in to review the videos, was five officers responded to a, a violent individual armed with a large butcher knife, and he was in, a public, in front of a public strip shopping center, and he was walking around yelling and screaming and waving the knife and, and threatening people. He didn't actually cut anybody. And so I had opportunity to, to review all five body camera videos um, and they were all time stamped, So you could see how everything was happening in relation to everything else. And one of the most notable things was the supervisor on the scene saying, let's try to keep this less lethal. So on this body camera, we have an audio statement saying we really don't want to have to shoot this guy, even though in several moments during the video, it would have been hundred percent justified. Now, what they did was they had one officer presented the potential of lethal force. He had his duty handgun out. Two other officers had electromuscular disruptor weapons, commonly referred to as tasers. And then you had a fourth guy who was just keeping people away from everybody. And the Sergeant who was kind of just a step back to, to keep an eye on everything. And they, they ended up tasing the man or shooting him with the EMD. Uh, he fell he hit his face on a brick ledge as he fell, and he tried to sue the agency. And when the agency pulled out all the video and showed everything they did to try not to hurt the man, the suit was dismissed. That's the power of the video, especially when you can look at it from more than one vantage point. And then when you add in the audio, it's, it, it just becomes a fantastic tool. That's great, Frank. Um and yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to add that maybe we didn't touch on about video today? You know, real quick, I'm going to say, I think it's important we remember that the video doesn't always show what the officer sees. Um, I know there's a company out there, Viridian, that makes uh, their fact checker, their camera that mounts onto your handgun, and it's activated when you draw your weapon from a proprietary holster. And you cannot say, you know, well, I didn't have my gun pointed there when I pulled the trigger because the camera shows exactly where the gun was pointed. That's different from the chest mounted body camera because I can turn my head 90 degrees right and I'm seeing and perceiving something that the camera is not. So we need to remember the perceptual difference and we've written about that in the past in previous articles and we need to remember the power of it um, and the fact that, I mean, video doesn't lie, but video doesn't tell the entire story. I think we need to keep that in mind. That's great. And yeah, I'd like to thank our listeners for uh, tuning in to this episode of the Officer Roll Call podcast. And uh, once again, if you guys have any questions for us, uh, anything that you, you'd like to add, you can reach out at editors at officer.com. 
And um, Frank, is there anything you'd, you'd like to finish with? Nope. Want all our listeners to stay safe. Hey, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.